0: If you would, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to roll right on in Philippians. Um, the youth right now are going, I'm preaching through the book of Philippians, and so I'm just taking those, those sermons, um, bringing them to y'all. So y'all get to, y'all get to be a part of the youth. Amen. All right. Last week, um, we saw at the end of chapter 1, that Paul encouraged the church in Philippi to have humility and to be unified together. And he gave steps to do that, okay? He, he said, have the same mind, be intent on the same purpose, love each other, rejoice in the gospel blessings, the, the, the community blessings that the gospel brings. This week, continuing on the same theme of humility, he gives them an example of humility, and attitude to reflect, a mindset to take on, And that example is Jesus. Jesus humbled himself, as we're going to see in our passage this morning, and he is our supreme example of godly, humble character. In fact, Paul's main uh, thrust, exhortation in this passage is that we are to take Christ's character and use it as a model for our lives. We're to value it, set our minds on it. So if you would stand this morning as we read the Word of God, and we're going to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through verse 11. And Paul writes, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Dear heavenly father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning. I thank you for this text, and I thank you for the message that you have given to me. I pray that you would speak through me, that your people may hear, that we learn something about you we didn't know, that we would see your character, and we would strive to imitate it. May we leave this place today closer to you than what we came in as. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This passage this morning is a Christological hymn. It's it's a hymn of Christ, Uh, which basically means it's a song or it's a creed or a confession of faith that the church would have, as they gathered together, they would have said this together. They would have recited this. I don't know. They they may have sung it. They may have just spoke it. I don't, I don't know. But Paul references it, and the 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 familiar the familiarity with which he references it seems to note that the Philippians also knew this creed, this confession, this this hymn. There are some deep theological truths in this passage, truths that are outside of the scope of this morning. But Paul references this hymn to reflect on the humility of Christ in his first advent, his first coming, his first arrival. I mentioned last week that we celebrate the first advent this season, but we also look forward to the second advent where Christ returns to gather His church. But in this hymn, we see the distance that that Jesus traveled from the form of God to the death of the cross and how it dramatically reveals this servant mindset that each believer is to have. Paul starts his this, this passage with this phrase, have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind, which in the Greek just means adopt the same attitude. Have this mind. Set your mind on this. And so we are to set our mind on Christ's character. We are to use it as a model for our lives. And then he goes on, he says, not only... He he encouraged them to have this mind, but he says that this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not impossible to have. Through the Holy Spirit, we can have this mindset. We can be humble. We can have the humility like Christ through the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. It is something that we can take hold of and apply it to our lives. And so he says, have this mind. Adopt this attitude which is yours in Christ Jesus. In the first few verses in six through eight, we see the humility of Jesus. And in his humility he came to serve. He came to serve. Look at verses six and seven. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Other translations may have the word plundered or exploited. Uh, Basically, the the idea is, is held on to at all costs to his advantage. Jesus, Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to at all costs, to use for his advantage or his own benefit. Instead, he chose a life of service. He, he took on the form of a servant so that he may serve humanity in the way that we needed. He was born in the likeness of man, he took on flesh. This amazing truth that God became what he was not. He became man. He experienced what it was like to be man. He experienced what it was like to be hungry, to be tired, to be grieved with sorrow over the death of a of a loved one or a friend. He became what he was not. These phrases, having the form of God, equality with God, they both speak to the pre-existence of Jesus. Before He was born in Bethlehem, He existed in the form of God. He was equal with God. He is God. He will always be God. He has always been God. John 1.1 speaks of the Word. The Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you follow that passage, in verse 14 it says, the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. He set up his tent. Eugene Peterson writes in the message that that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) He He made us his home. The word became flesh. Jesus became human. God became what he was not. This verse also speaks to the fact that Jesus is the perfect image of God. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the radiance of God's glory. He is the image of the invisible God, as Paul would write in Colossians. See, when God created man, Adam was the perfect image of God. We see in Genesis 1.27 that God created man in the image of God. Sin was not, did not exist at this point in man. Man was, 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 was without sin. He was in the image. The image was not distorted yet. Because of Adam's sin, that image is now marred. It is distorted. Because of Adam's sin, we cannot, as as dead people, as sinners without grace, without a Savior, we cannot experience life. We cannot experience the things of God. Dead people cannot experience life. Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And it's only through the mercy of God that we are reborn. That we are recreated, verse, verse, uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are created in Christ for good works. And so we needed a new Adam, a new man. We needed someone to come and offer restoration to that image. And that's what Christ offers us. Not only the forgiveness of sin, but he also offers us his righteousness. Martin Luther would call this the great exchange. It's the idea that, that, that we carry all this baggage with us. The baggage of sin. Maybe it's the, the baggage of your past. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, uh, sins that you are still uh, addicted to. I don't know what it is, what you carry, your baggage. But it's the idea that at the cross, we give our baggage to Jesus, and he takes it. We lay our, our sin at the cross. Now, some of us like to lay it at the cross, walk away, and then are like, you know what, Jesus, I think I can handle that. And we pick it back up. No! No! Jesus takes our sin. He dies on the cross for our sin. He leaves it there. We are forgiven. We are reborn. We are recreated. And now through the new Adam, through Jesus, we are made right with God. God became what he was not. So that we could become what we could achieve not. So that we could become the righteousness of God. In verse 7, there's confusion about this word emptied, it's the Greek word kenosis. Kenosis. theologians would debate that this word means that Jesus lost his his divinity lost the the his, his god nature that he that he got rid of it so that he could become man he lost his equality with god but but that's not what the rest of scripture teaches 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. The, the New Living Translation, I, I think, uh, translate this better than, better than most. It says that, that Jesus gave up his divine privilege. Instead of empty, it, 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 he emptied himself not of his divinity, but of the privileges of divinity. He gave up his throne for a manger. Christ gave up the privilege, the status of heaven. And he gave up those privileges to serve. He is still God, he is still divine, but he took on the likeness of humanity, the form of a servant, because he came to serve, not to be served. Paul is stressing that Christ, who has all the privilege, who had all the privileges that were rightly his as king of the universe, gave them up to become an ordinary Jewish baby bound for the cross. He came to serve. He did this out of, out of his love for humanity. Go back to that verse in 2 Corinthians. It, it doesn't just say that he became poor so that we might become rich. It says that for your sake he became poor. He did it because he loves us. He did it out of his love for humanity. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, only begotten son. So that whoever may believe, whoever believes can can come to him and not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus did not lose his divinity to become man. Because Jesus must be fully God and, and fully man. He is fully God and fully man. If he is not fully God, he could not live a perfect, sinless life. Therefore, his atonement on the cross would be ineffective. He would not be the perfect lamb that was slaughtered for our sins. If he is not fully man, he could not fix what man broke and atone for our sins. Jesus came to serve. He took on humanity so that he could be with his people and be like us. He took on humanity so that he could share his love of them with them. He took on humanity so that he could bring us into his kingdom. He came to serve and to love. This would lead to his death on the cross. See not only does in his in his not only in his humi- humility did he come to serve but he also in verse 8 it says he came to die. Not only did Jesus humble himself by giving up status and taking on humanity, but he also humbled himself through obedience to the Father, which meant death. Jesus was born bound to the cross. That was always the plan. There was no other plan. Jesus was plan A. Jesus humbled himself to take on the likeness of humanity, fully obedient to the Father, and fully willing to take on the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 6.13 and Romans 3.23 says that he took on the curse of God, which is death, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. John 1.29 and 6.37 give us that Jesus tells us that he must bear the full weight of the sin of those who will come to know him through faith. The ones that the father gives him. Jesus came to die. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus during, the t- during this time of the year, as we celebrate the advent of Christ, let us not forget that, the Christmas, that Christmas was the beginning. Easter was the mission. He came to earth, which is amazing in itself, that God came to dwell with humanity. He came to earth to die for your sins so that you might dwell with Him forever. This incredible act of grace and mercy is what is in view that first Christmas night as he is born into a manger. We must not forget that the manger is empty because Jesus grew up into a man. We must not forget that the cross is empty because he died for our sins. And he was buried. We must not forget that the tomb is empty because he lives again. And as Paul is about to remind us, the throne is full because he reigns. He is reigning over and advocating for his people which is in in verse 9 through 11, this song of Christ turns. So not only do we see the humility of Jesus, he came to serve and he came to die out of his love for humanity, but then we see the exaltation of Jesus. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is exalted. It says, therefore, the CSB says, for this reason, what reason? Jesus' humble obedience that resulted in his death on the cross. For that reason, God highly exalted him. His humiliation became the grounds for his exaltation. What does it mean to exalt? Exalt means to elevate something above all else, to give first place, priority. So God exalts Jesus, the Son, above all else because of the Son's obedience. This suggests that God gave Jesus a new position, seated at his right hand. The word word here, the Greek word here, is like the super exalted. This is the only place that it's found in Scripture. God highly exalted him. super exalted him above all else. God gave Jesus the position that Adam was supposed to have dominion and authority over creation. And so, Jesus, as that second Adam, has now been given authority over earth. And we too must exalt Jesus above all things in our lives. We must give him priority, we must give him preeminence, first place. God exalted him. But not only did he he give him a new position, but he also gave him a new name. He gave him the name that is above every name. And what name is that? It's not Jesus, it's Lord. Look at verse 11. It says that that at the name of Jesus, every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, verse 11, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the Greek word kurios. And it commonly is the translation for the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. It is the name, it is the name that is above all other names. God gave Jesus more than just the status that he gave up becoming a servant. God gave Jesus the privilege of authority over heaven and earth. And that's why he can say in Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission, that all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. (laughs) Because he has been given authority over heaven and earth. Because he has been given authority over life and death and sin. Therefore those that are in him those who who are who are his children he sends out to people to all nations to proclaim this good news what good news that god came to dwell for huma- in, with humanity so that we may dwell with him eternally The good news that Christ came, that Christ died, that Christ was resurrected, and now that Christ reigns eternally. And because of that encouragement, because of that hope that we have in the cross and in the gospel, the foundation of of the gospel that Paul reminded us about last week, because of that encouragement, we worship Him above all else. We exalt him above all else, and in verse ten and eleven, we see that he is worshipped. Every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That means that means those have those that have died and gone on to be in glory, and those that 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 are still living, and those that have died and are not in glory. Every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess that Jesus is Yahweh. He is Lord. That he is the one to be worshipped. Because of the name that God has given him, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The living and the dead will worship Jesus. They will all bring glory to God through their reverence. See, Jesus is the focus of worship. Without Jesus, we are eternally separated from God. We are dead in our sins. But because God came to dwell with us through Christ and because of his sacrifice and his obedience on the cross, we can dwell with God eternally through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What will they confess? What will they be proclaiming? It says that Jesus Christ is Lord that He is above all things, that He has been exalted and He will be exalted in our hearts as well, that He is Yahweh, that He is the sovereign God who deserves our worship and praise In our lives. The worship of Jesus, though, is not the final word in this song. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Why are they confessing it? Because God deserves the glory. Because he deserves the glory. In the end, whether you choose to or not, every knee will bow. And whether you choose to or not, every tongue will worship him and confess that he is Lord and give him the glory. Even in the worship of Jesus, the Son still is obedient to the Father and glorifies Him. He is the picture of humble, loving service to God. And this is why Jesus' character is the model for us today. This is why Paul says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, which you can have have this humility among yourselves because Jesus came to serve not to be served he came to die for our sins so that we might have relationship with him he is exalted by god and should have first place in our lives as well jesus is worshiped by those who know him and one day will be worshiped by everyone at his return when he gathers his church no one has given up as much as Jesus has for us to have a relationship with God. That's why Paul gives us his example here. He implores us, he exhorts us to be like him, to imitate him. He's our perfect, supreme example of humility, our perfect, supreme example of the attitude that we, were, that we are to have as Christians Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. He's been exalted. Jesus has been exalted above all things yet remains accessible by those that come to him in faith and repentance. See, here's the thing. The fact is, is that you can Know God. He is offering you a relationship with Him. He wants to know you and He invites you to know Him. He is offering peace and forgiveness. He is offering life. He is calling you to repentance and joy in Him. And if if you want that, if you feel Him calling you to that, come talk to somebody. We have pastors in this church that would love to pray with you, that would love to explain the truths of the gospel. There is hope in the humility and the exaltation of Christ for you. It is freely given. And he invites you to take hold of it to grasp it. Christ is the model of our character. He is the model of submission and obedience to the Father. And as we continue to celebrate Advent this season, let us remember that he is the reason that we have hope. He is the reason that we have joy. He is the reason that we know what true love is. He's the reason for our worship, and we exalt him above all else. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Again, I thank you for the honor of bringing your word to your people. I thank you for this passage and the reminder that you came to dwell with us through your son so that we may dwell with you for eternity. God, I pray that we would exalt you above all else, that we would give you first priority, first place, that we would humble ourselves in obedience to you, and we would take this passage, we would take your son and model our lives after his character. And where we fail, we remember that there is grace. God, we love you and we thank you. Be with us now as we continue to sing and to worship you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?